Well, our, our best days are ahead of us. Amen? Amen. Amen. There we go. Now I can see your handsome faces, guys, and girls all dressed up for Valentine's Day. Notice my wife and I didn't play in that game earlier. I, I didn't want to have to come to the pulpit angry. And I uh, figured, figured that wouldn't be good. So we said, well, we'll find some volunteers for that. But we're delighted to have each and every one of you here. And I'm confident, uh, not in me, but in the grace and goodness of God, that God wants to speak to you today, right where you're at. He knows everything about us. His compassion faileth not. And I'm believing for the work of His Spirit to be life-changing in each and every one of our lives today. With that being said, you see on the screens um, the series we have been in in the month of February, Fighting for Your Family. And the truth of the matter is every one of us has a family. Uh, even if we're not married, we have relatives, we have people close. If not, you have us, the family of God. Jesus said, who's my mother and brother? Those that do the will of God. And God wants to speak to us regarding fighting for the family. And here in week two, I want to preach a message today titled, Molding the Foundations. Will you say that with me? Molding the Foundations. I want to read from Isaiah 58, beginning in verse 12. Uh, many of you might be aware this is what's called the fasting chapter, where the prophet tells God's heart regarding fasting and how fasting actually makes things go faster. And that's part of the chapter of how God, when you get the right kind of fasting uh, in your life, how He accelerates things. And the Bible speaks about some of the benefits or the promises when we get in the right posture. I'm not speaking on fasting, but I want you to see, because we are a fasting community, meaning we're followers of Jesus Christ. And He says, in the day that I ascend, we will fast. And so we are people that at times... As the Lord leads fast. But notice what Isaiah says in 58 verse 12. Those from among you. And I believe that applies from those among our family. Those among dwelling place church. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach. The restorer of of streets to dwell in. I would like to pray. Father, I thank you for that name Jesus that's above every name. And I thank you the name of Jesus is above every assignment, every lying voice of the enemy, every plan and purpose of the enemy that would be against each and every person here. I thank you the blood of Jesus speaks better things. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, you are here to take the victory of Jesus, to take the authority in that name and to penetrate hearts, to penetrate minds. And I pray that you would begin in some people's lives and continue in others to raise them up to build the foundation for many generations. I yield myself to you, Holy Spirit. We thank you for Christ being manifested. We give you all the glory. You're my sufficiency. You're our sufficiency. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. The greatest thing this generation can do is lay a few stepping stones for the next generation. Charles Kettinger, Kettinger said that, who was a leader in GM. And uh, I like also what D. Elton Trueblood said. We have made at least a start in discovering the meaning in human life. When we plant shade trees under which we know full well we will never Never sit. 
See, these statements carry the sentiment of one of our core values. One of our core values here at Dwelling Place is molding the foundations. Molding the foundations for many generations. This core value includes the concepts of the preparing and the equipping of people for healthy marriages that produce godly families for the next generation to be developed within. I want to hang this message around three words that's found in that core value. Those words are preparing, equipping, and produce. Preparing, equipping, and produce. Of course, we'll center it on Jesus Christ. We'll center it on the only foundation, Him and His Word. But I want to hang it around those three words today. In doing this, I want to piggyback off Pastor Craig's message that he preached last Sunday. And he had as his main text Genesis 24. Maybe you recall he said Genesis chapter 24 is the largest chapter in the book of Genesis, the first book in the Scriptures. Being that it's the largest chapter, there's plenty that God can speak through it. And so I want to use that today as the foundation for what I believe God wants to communicate into our hearts to each and every person here today. And from Genesis 24, I'm going to take types. I'm going to take shadows in the Old Testament that reveal the working of God. The truth of the matter is I could preach this message from multiple stories, multiple passages throughout Scripture because we're going to talk about the working of God. How does God work? How does He work in the lives of people? How does God work in nations? And how does God work in the history of the earth? We're going to look at that theme today. And what we find out is that in the beginning when God begins to work towards the fulfillment and the intention and the restoration of His purpose and why He created mankind, why He created you and I, that He draws a man named Abram that we now know as Abraham to Himself. And when God draws Abram to himself, God gives him a prophetic promise. He gives him a prophecy. He gives him a picture and a declaration of how God wants to use him, what God wants to do in his life. And he does this beforehand. Here's what he says. Basically, he says, Abram, I am going to use you to mold the foundations of many generations. I'm going to bless you, and the blessing for you is not just for you, but it is going to impact the nations of the world. That you're going to be used to raise up the foundations of many generations. You're going to be used as a repairer of the breach. What breach? The fact is is that God's purpose for mankind and God's relationship for mankind had been breached. Sin and rebellion and wrong choices has came in. And the devastation of that is still seen on the earth today. That there has been tears and there has been sorrow and there has been pain and there has been grief because there has been a breach And God's design and purpose for mankind. But God tells Abram, He says, I can use you. I can use you to begin to be involved in what I want to do to repair the breach. That I don't always want people to have to stay in waste places. I don't want people to have to waste away in sorrow and waste away in grief and waste away in dysfunction and waste away in poverty and that which would keep them from living out my image upon the earth. Abraham, you shall be called a repairer of the breach, a restorer of strength to dwell in and notice what he says and those among you those that get connected to you those that allow the process that's in you to begin to affect them that they shall build the waste places they shall build the waste places 
And because of this, we know today God not as the God of Abraham, but we know Him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. See, when you talk about the working of God, you got to understand that God is not just thinking about you in our generation, but He's thinking about multi-generations. He's thinking generational. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God doesn't just want to be good to you, single people, but if you get married and have children, He wants to be the God to your children. God does not want to just be the God to your children if you have children, but if your children have grandchildren, He wants to be the God of the grandchildren. God is a multi-generational God and I need to go ahead and tell some people up front today that what is currently taking place in your life and maybe what's been allowed in your life and maybe what the enemy has brought into your life God is thinking how he can use it not just to be a blessing to you, not just to work his purpose in you but how it can affect the generations to come. God is thinking that I am so big and so great. God is of how he can use what's taking place in your life and cause it to propel his purpose in his plan upon the earth today. Paul said, there's things happening to me and it's not just for me, it's also for the body of Christ. It's for God's image to prevail. It's for the kingdom to go forward. It's for others to be blessed. And maybe the difficulties in your life right now, that's what God is doing. He's trying to set it up to be used to move His purpose forward in a multi-generational way. That if you allow the lesson and you allow the working of God to begin to take place in your life right now, God can use it for the benefit of His name. He can use it for the benefit of the next generation. He can use it for the benefit of even this nation and the nations of the world. You say how can he do it? Because he did it through a man named Abram and it is the example of God's working of what he wants to do for all of us who are now followers of Jesus Christ and in him. And in this process God is going to use Abram to mold the foundations of many generations. He begins to prepare Abram He begins to prepare Abram. And in the preparing of Abram, he then gets Abram to a place of understanding how he can be used to prepare the next generation. Abraham begins to get involved in preparing his son Isaac to be married. Abraham begins to put his hands on that which is important of molding the foundations for many generations. See, marriage and family has always been at the center of God's methodology. You say, why? Why is it good not for man to be alone? Because if man is alone, then there's no marriage. If there's no marriage, there can be no godly seed. And with no godly seed, there can be no arrows that can be shot into the future, shot into the next generation to penetrate darkness, to penetrate sorrow, to penetrate that which creates devastation and hurt upon the earth. And in Genesis 24 and verse 1, you pick up the story. Now Abraham was old. He's already been prepared. He's been in a process. He's well advanced in age. The Lord has blessed Abram in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh. And I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Verse 4, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son. I want to use this to begin to talk to you regarding the preparing of people for healthy marriages that produce godly families for the next generation. I want to begin to talk to even single people or those that are divorced of how God can use things in your life to prepare you to impact generations to come for the glory and the cause of Jesus Christ and the working of God upon the earth. 
You can see here that Abraham is involved in that preparation. He's involved in the preparation, the molding of many generations because he tells his servant, I want you to go and find a wife for my son. Abraham is hands-on in this. And the reason Abraham is hands-on is because Abraham himself has been through the preparation of God. He has been prepared by God. He has personally been prepared. And when you think about God's preparation, you need to understand that God begins to prepare through pressure. I need to go ahead and let you understand this morning that not all pressure is bad pressure. That there is pressure that is good pressure because God wants to use it to prepare you. To prepare you for His purpose in you. To prepare you for His purpose through you. To prepare you to be used in the involvement of His working of molding the foundations of many generations. And Abraham was prepared through pressure. God comes to Abraham and says, I need you to leave your family. I need you to leave everything you know. I need you to leave the customs and what you've observed in your family. And I need to take you to a land and to a place that you do not know. See, that's what you call pressure. Pressure to let go of what's known. Pressure to let known what's comfortable. And in that preparation of the pressure, God is preparing Abraham to be used to mold the foundations of many generations. See, he experienced the pressure of God's testing. God finally gives him a son. His son is named Isaac. He says, you go offer Isaac on a mountain. Offer him as a sacrifice. That's the pressure of God's testing. Will you trust me when you don't understand me? Will you love me even when it doesn't seem convenient for you? Will you follow me even when it's not convenient for you? Will you be like John the Baptist and and Jesus and set your eyes like Flynn and not be moved away by what's taking place in your life? Pressure. Pressure of not knowing the big picture. God tells him what he's going to do, but he don't tell him how he's going to do it. He don't tell him when he's going to do it. He don't cross every T and dot every I. One day he tells Abram, he says, you go to a mountain, I will show you. Abraham knows where he's going. He's going to the mountain, but he don't know which mountain. And maybe God said some things to you. Maybe you're not seeing what's taking place in your life right now according to what God said to you, but you can keep trusting him. You can allow the pressure right now to be a part of the process. The pressure is not intended to push you back. The pressure is intended to push you forward, to be influenced, and to be impactful in the next generation and those around you. See, people that's never been under pressure and allowed God to use pressure for the working of His purpose have never impacted those around them deeply. It is nothing for us to be pushed back and conformed to this world. It is nothing to give in to the standards of this world. It's a whole nother thing to let the pressure of God be used to prepare you to become well-established, well-built, to become a shining star to those around you, that the grace of God is able to do what we could never do. That there is mercy that's new every morning. That God's got ability and He's got the power to do what we could never do. And your life becomes a testimony not of your own faithfulness and your own goodness but by the faithfulness and the goodness of God. That God says I want to use you to mold the foundations and what I'm doing in you and what I'm doing through you is not just for you but it's to impact the nations around you. He would say, I don't believe that. What does it matter if you believe it? God believes it about you. And you listen to the voice of truth. He'll drive out the darkness. He'll drive out the lies. Because I bet the woman with the issue of might, when she threw in all that she had, I bet she didn't believe that God would use that to impact the nations of the world. But in every tongue and every tribe where there's a Bible, her obedience and her act of faith is being testified. Her very life, her very might that she threw into the plan of God is impacting nations. And I feel God trying to speak to people today, saying if you'll just throw in the little might that you have... If you will do what you do have and not what you don't have, God can start with little and He can do much. Can I hear an amen? Amen. 
God's allowing pressure to, pr- to prepare us. You see it in the type in this story. You see it in the type when Abram is in the process of molding the foundations of many generations. The pressure that God had in his own life, but then you see it in impacting the generations. He tells the servant, put your hand under my thigh. It's called pressure. What he's doing is, is this is illustrating that there is positive pressure. There is positive peer pressure. The pressure is making the servant understand you're a part of something now that's bigger than you. You're now a part of what God is doing on the earth. That God is trying to mold the foundations of many generations. He's trying to rebuild the waste places. He's trying to raise up people that would be a demonstration of the grace and the goodness of God in the midst of a dry and wasted and beat up and miserable land where the enemy has came and stealed, killed, and destroyed on the earth around us. See, don't confuse all pressure with bad pressure. Pressure gives birth. It gives pressure to new life. Pressure can start something new in your life. Pressure can begin the beginning of what you've been praying for for years to see God do. Pressure could be the beginning of that. Pressure can start molding the new work of God in your life. His character, His thoughts, His heart. See, there is a pressure of trusting God. Pressure of trusting God to use others in the process. Learning to delegate. Learning that God's bigger than other people's failures that's been connected to your life. That's a pressure. That I can't do it alone and God doesn't want to do it alone. And He can use a community of imperfect people around me and imperfect mates and imperfect relationships around me, but He can still use them a part of His working. This This is a pressure to trust God that He's bigger than the choices of people around us. This is the pressure of trials. The pressure of surrendering the unknown to the known God. You might have a lot of unknowns in your life and why this and what about that. But this is a pressure, a pressure of learning to surrender the unknown to a known God. But there's also the pressure to move forward towards God's purpose for your life. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I'll tell you, as I tell you often, the main purpose of God for your life is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Because without Him, we can do nothing, Jesus said in John 15. But if He'll get formed in your life, if He'll begin to live in areas of your life, if He'll form His character and His ability and His mind in your life, He can do more through your life than you could ever do by yourself in your own power. But a pressure to move forward. You see this. By type in the story in Genesis 24 and verse 5, the servant responds back to Abram. Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? Look at verse 6. Abraham said, oh, no, 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 no. Beware that you do not take my son back there. Whatever you do, don't take my son back there. See the pressure, the pressure upon the servant to find the right wife, the pressure upon the servant that now his choices is going to affect Abraham and Abraham's son and affect the working of God to mold the foundations of generations. This pressure is not for you to move back. The pressure is to propel you forward in the plan of God. Abraham says, be very certain that the pressure you feel 
It's not to think, take things backward. God is a God that is trying to, in each generation, move His purpose forward. That there would be more peace on the earth. That there would be more joy on the earth. That there would be more poverty, poverty that would be driven off the earth. That there would be more of the kingdom of God reigning where there would be peace and joy and love upon the earth. He says, be sure you do not allow the pressure you feel to cause you to go back. Can I tell some people today, don't allow the current pressure in your life to push you back into dysfunction to push you back to drinking, to push you back to the dysfunction that you saw in your parents and previous generations. Don't allow the pressure of your current trials to push you back, but you can allow the pressure of your current trial to push you forward in the plan of God for your life to be more like Jesus, to see Jesus more clearly, to allow the pressure to prepare you to be deeply involved in molding the foundations of many generations. Parents, beware. Don't take God's children and trusted you back to dysfunction. Don't, don't take them backwards from God's purpose for them in their future. Allow what God has done in you, what He's taught in you, what He's shown you to propel the next generation and propel those around you and propel, propel friends around you forward in the plan of God. But surely don't be a person that takes the multi-generational plan of God backwards. Be a person that allows the pressure to take the plan of God forward. Forward in this nation. Forward in our family. Forward in this community. Paul said the current pressure is intended to work the glory of Christ in your life. It's not to take you back. It's not to take you back to demonstrate qualities of the old creation that was broken and separated from God. The pressure is to make you more like Jesus. Uh, Joseph was in a pit, but the pressure made him more like Jesus. Joseph was in a prison, but the pressure made him more like Jesus. I don't know what pit and prison and pressure on your life, but I know God has intended it not to harm you, but to push you forward in the plan and the purpose of God. Let the pressure push you forward. See, this is positive peer pressure Abraham puts on the servant. Get in this community. Let some men, men. Let some women, women. Let some singles, single. Let some people around you put positive pressure to keep you moving forward in the things of God. So a lot of people, they don't want to get connected because then they, they, they don't feel that sense that God's wanting to move things forward. Well, here's the thing. We're fighting the spiritual warfare. You get, you get a outside of positive peer pressure, guess what you're going to find? The negative pressure of the devil and the world trying to push you back. Trying to get you going back. But there's some positive pressure here for you today. There's some positive pressure from people here today that wants God's best for you, that's praying God's best for you, that believes God's best for you is still available. Positive peer pressure. Remember that God told the prophet, he said, I want you to go down to the potter's house. And I want you to see the pressure that the potter puts upon the clay on that potter's wheel. And right now you're that clay and you might be on the potter's wheel, but you can allow that pressure to mold you into a vessel that's prepared and useful for every good work of the master. You can allow the pressure that's being put on your earthen vessel and in your life to cause you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. See, this is why the laying on of hands is one of the six elementary teachings of following Jesus in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. Because just like the potter has to put his hand on that clay to begin to form it. The laying on of hands symbolizes that there's positive pressure that must be put in your life to mold you into what God has for you. 
Positive pressure. Someone say positive pressure. And see the pressure then, if you allow it to be used in a positive way, to not take you back but move you forward, it'll lead you to prayer. Pressure is intended to lead you to prayer. You see this in type in Genesis 24 and verse 5. I'm sorry, Genesis 24 and verse 11. The servant said, he made his camels kneel down. Everybody say kneel down. Notice he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time. The time when women go out to draw water. See, he made his camels kneel down. You know what that means? He put pressure. The pressure on the camels made them kneel down. What if the pressure on your current life was intended so that you would get a prayer life? That you would get a a, a deeper relationship with the Father in your life? What if you allowed the current pressure to make you kneel down? Instead of running backwards, instead of complaining, instead of saying, woe is me, what if you allowed the pressure to make you kneel down? And notice it says kneel down at a well. We're not talking about kneeling down at religion. We're not talking about you kneeling down and having to depend on your own ability to heal your heart, to make things right, to align things, to open doors that you can't even open. We're talking about kneeling down at the well of salvation. That there is a well that never runs dry. His name is Jesus Christ. And He's got more grace for you. He's got more healing for you. He's got more promises for you. He's got more joy and peace. And if you'll kneel down at the well, you'll find out that He becomes a living well within you. He can be his, his the substance for your life. He can be the stamina. He can be the strength. He can be everything that I'm not and you're not and that is the mystery Christ in us. But maybe the current pressure is trying to cause you to kneel down at Jesus Christ and find He's a source within you because you've been kneeling down at religion. And I knelt down in religion growing up and it left me empty. It left me a mess. It left what I was molded in my life broken. But God used it for my good and I'm telling you there's somebody and some people here today He is trying to get the pressure to cause you to kneel down and find that there is a well. There is a law of the Spirit. There is God's grace for somebody and He can use what you've been through to not push you back but push you forward in the plan of God. Oh, if you could have seen me when God's pressure first hit my life. Oh, if you would have thought God would ever even have me on a platform. Oh, no, 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 no. But it's not about me. My sufficiency comes from Christ in me and He can do the same in you because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. Let the pressure get you down in prayer. You know, the apostle James in the early church, he was called camel knees. Because the pressure of persecution, they're persecuting the early church. The pressure in persecution, people are being saved by the thousands. Now he's, he's a leader leading thousands and the pressure persecuted. You know what that pressure did? It didn't make him say, well, I'm going back and I'm running away. He got down on his knees so much that the skin on his knees was so hardened, he was nicknamed Camel Knees. Oh, I pray that for us. We'd be a church of Camel Knees. We'd be a church that says, yes, this world is dark, and yes, there's unknown things in this world, and yes, things are going on, but it's not going to push us back from the purpose of God. It's going to push us down in prayer to kneel at the well of Jesus Christ and His ability and His finished work and what He's made possible. Maybe you're single and you're thinking about getting married. Well, let me tell you, if you're dating someone that's not allowed the pressures of this life to cause them to kneel down and get a prayer life, they're sure not going to get a prayer life once they're in marriage. 
If I was single, I'd make sure that the person I'm dating understands that the pressure in life is meant to give them a prayer life. Maybe you're already married. And maybe you didn't have that there. That's fine. But why not allow the pressure now in your marriage to get a prayer life together? To turn things over to the one whose hand can go where the hand of man can. Can't. Get a prayer life. Personal relationship with the Father. That the Father of this universe cares about what you're going through. So much that sometimes pressure is needed to make us kneel down. To look to Him when we've been looking to ourselves. And when you kneel down at the well in prayer, you'll find there's an indwelling well of Christ within. And if you kneel down in prayer long enough, you know what will happen? You'll begin to be prepared to know your position. Whatever stage of life you're in, you'll be prepared to know your position. If you're single, you'll know your position of the purpose of this season. You'll know your position ultimately in Christ. If you're a father, you'll begin to learn the purpose of God for you in the position as a father. If you're a mother, you'll begin to learn your position as a mother in the plan of God. If you're a friend, you'll begin to learn your position in the plan of God as a friend. See, if you'll let the pressure make you kneel down in prayer, you'll begin to understand your position. And ultimately, you'll understand your position in Christ. That though you used to be one way, that person died. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. You'll begin to understand what God did on the inside of you when you got born again, that He made you righteous and holy. He made you not to be a failure, but to be a success in the plan and purpose of God. You'll begin to understand that you were created to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. You'll begin to understand that you were made acceptable by God through the new birth. You'll begin to understand your position in Christ. And if you haven't, then you can begin to come to the phases. In the growth phases on Thursdays because you will begin to understand your position in Christ and how God wants to use you to mold the generations and the foundation of many generations and those connected to you. You'll start learning how to use your position to prepare others. You see it in the story in, 24, uh, in Genesis 24-4. Abraham's using his position of a father to help prepare and mold the foundation of the next generation, his son Isaac. But then you see Rebekah's father, Bethel, he's doing the same thing. In Genesis 24, 23, it says he prepared the house. You have two fathers who understands their position and they're both preparing their house not knowing that it's then going to create a foundation, a box for a marriage and in that marriage would be coming out of it a nation, out of it the working of God that would even cause us today to be blessed and understand more about God and the gospel. Your position and preparation for the next generation. Paul says, my authority, my position is not to destroy but to edify. Your position in Christ, your position as a mother, your position as a son, your position as a daughter, your position as a father, your position as a grandfather and a grandmother, your position is to build up and to prepare those around you for the working of God and the plan of God. 
Maybe you already have kids. Maybe you've not been prepared through previous pressures. Maybe you've not been prepared through having a prayer life. Maybe you've not been prepared through the phases of learning your position in Christ. Well, listen to what Paul Stevens says to us. Children are God's gifts to immature people to help them grow up. They are also God's gift to help parents go deep with God. See, God's mercies new each morning. The end of the day, today is the day of salvation. And even if you weren't prepared before you had children, even if it, you got just as surprised as those around you of having children, why not allow the current pressure to cause you to go deep with God? To go deep with God. Dwell at the well in prayer. Dwell at the well looking to, looking to Christ and trusting Him and go deep with God. See, marriage and children will always reveal our weak areas that Christ is lacking because He's the only sure foundation. He's the only sure consistency. You say, well, what about you, Chad? Well, let's not talk about me. There's not enough time this morning to reveal how marriage and children reveals the areas that have not yet trusted and been surrendered to Christ and His grace that can carry the weight and the pressure of it. But you know what? I'm not going to allow the pressure to push me back and I don't believe God has that for you. Let's allow our, the pressure in our marriage, the pressure in raising children, the pressure of what we're facing to drive us to our knees and go deep in prayer and deep at the well of Jesus Christ. Because you know what happens when you go deep in a well? You'll begin to see prophecies. You'll begin to hear God say, I got something for you. And that the current pressure has caused you to become into prayer and know me. And God begins to give you promises and prophecies for your life. And you get up encouraged because that's the purpose of prophecy, Paul says. He says, it is to encourage and to edify and speak comfort to men. Let me talk to you about how prophecy connects in preparing. You see it in the story in Genesis 24 and verse 7. The Lord God of heaven. Notice that. He's the God of heaven. He's the God that's bigger than what others have done to you. He's the God that's bigger than what's taking place in the nations of the world. He's a God that's bigger than your own failures. He is the God of heaven. He is above and He is greater than what you're facing, what you're going through, and the current pressures. And Abraham says, Lord, the Lord God of heaven took me from my father's house. Do you know He can take you from what's tried to keep you? He can take you from what's tried to rob you. He can restore innocence and purity and victory to your life. I'm talking today about the God of heaven is able to take you and get you back on a solid foundation where you can be an influence to the generations around you. He says, the God of heaven took me from my father's house and from the land. And watch this. Then he spoke to me and swore to me. That's what God wants to do. He wants to speak to you. He wants to promise to you. The same God that speaks and promises is the same God that's got the power and the ability to do what he has spoken. And then when you're going through a difficulty, you take the prophecy of God. You take the promise of God. You take the word of God that was revealed to you as you knelt deeply at the well of Jesus Christ in prayer. And you begin to wage warfare with it. You begin to say, my current situation is not going to be my future situation. The God of heaven, the God that's greater than this, is already promised that this is not my long-standing season. Hallelujah. Prophecy, the prophetic promises of God 
Not only do you begin to find the prophetic promises of God, but you'll start seeing the prophetic hand of God come in your life. You see it in the story of 2 Kings 13 and 14. It's a type. Elijah the prophet becomes sick. The king gets concerned because the prophet in that days was the only way to hear from God. He represented the presence of God on the earth. And he's scared that the prophet's about to die and he sends from him. He says, oh my father, my father. Notice how the prophetic voice, the prophetic promise, the prophet represented the working of God the Father in the nation of Israel. The king calls the prophet, oh father, my father. He says, what about the chariots and the men? You know what he's concerned about? He's concerned about the next generation. They're about to be in war and the king is scared. What about the molding of many generations? What about some men and some soldiers being raised up that can stand in those chariots and see the deliverance and the will of God prevail and to proceed in the next generation? And here's what the prophet says. He says, okay, take a bow and some arrows. So he takes a bow and some arrows. In verse 16, Elijah the prophet puts his hands on the king's hands. You know what that is? That's called pressure. The prophetic promises and the prophetic hand of God begins to come upon your life to get you aligned to be used to move things forward for the plan of God. And the prophet puts his hand on the bow and he tells him, he says, open the east window. That speaks to the right position. And then he begins to pray. All things we've already talked about. Liza said, shoot, and he shot. He said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians till you have destroyed them. Notice that God's word is, I want to take you further than you can imagine. I don't want to just give you a little victory. I don't want to just give you a little peace. I don't want to give you just a little provisions for my purpose. I want you to experience every promise of God that is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. That the same blood that provided forgiveness, the same blood that's already provided promise, promises in your life is the same blood that will allow the full deliverance of God to come in your life. And then he tells the king, he says, now strike the ground. The king struck the ground three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him. You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed. You know what he's upset about? Is the king... The king didn't use the moment... And the pressure, the prophetic alignment that was taking place to move things completely forward the way God wanted. That's the risk we all do. We begin to settle. We think, well, I'm a little better than daddy. I'm a little further along than mama and grandma. I know a little more than they taught me and a little more than the, you know, the religion I grew up in and that. Well, listen, the Lord... And the prophetic promise of God and the prophetic hand upon your life is so a full deliverance can come to you and to your household, to you and to your children. That there are rocks and there are barriers and there's things the enemy's kept in your family and the land so long and the Lord's got grace to bring a full deliverance to get them out of the way so that the arrows, children are the arrows in the hand of mighty fathers and mothers can fly forward in the plan and the purpose of God. And I'm telling you, you get people that will let the Word of God 
God do this? God can shake communities. You read it. Psalms 107. He says, I make the hungry and thirsty to begin to dwell in a place that's barren. Why? That they may prepare a city for a habitation. Not just a little church that just likes doing religion. I'm talking about people that allows the prophetic hand of God to come upon them. That Jesus Christ and His power is manifested in a city. Oh, Paul said in Ephesians 3.20, I can do more you can ever imagine or ask by the power at work within you. But we got to be a people and we're going to be a people and we are a people in Jesus' name that says we're going to let the Lord's arrow of deliverance take us to all that Jesus has made available. We're not going to settle. We're not going to camp out just a little further in the river than the last generation. But we are going to say, Lord, I will follow you all the days of my life. The full deliverance. What am I talking about today? I'm talking about molding the foundations of many generations. I'm talking about the concepts of preparing and equipping people for healthy marriages and producing godly families for the next generation to be developed within and sent out. Once you allow preparation to begin to work in your life, pressure to get you a prayer life and prayer life to reveal your position in Christ and your purpose in Christ and God's specific assignment for you, then you'll become equipped. And equipped means rendered fit for a thing. Now you've allowed the things in your life to prepare you and now you're equipped to begin to take a more direct role and intentionally mentor and put your hands and influence those around you for the glory of God. Let me talk to you about equipping. In Genesis 24 and verse 16, Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold and a virgin. No man had known her and she went down to the well, filled her pitcher. Everybody say, filled her pitcher. See, that's the preparation. The preparation is to teach you how to fill your pitcher. And when you're prepared to know how to fill your pitcher, then you can be equipped to do what she does. You know what she does? She came up, the servant ran to meet her, and said, please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. See, there's people all around us saying, can I just get a drink? Can I just know that there's hope? Can I just know that my story don't have to end this way? Can I just have a drink that I don't have to end up like daddy and granddaddy and I don't have to end up in my family and the dysfunction and that don't have to be my lot in life? There's people just saying, give me a drink. And here we see the work of God in a lady who had been prepared. And now she's prepared, so now she's equipped. Equipped to do what? Well, here it is. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. See, she's been prepared to know how to fill her pitcher. She's allowed pressure to cause her to go to the well and fill her own pitcher. She's filled with the joy and the peace and the victory of Jesus Christ. She's filled with the Spirit of God. And now she's filled. She's equipped to do what? To empty her pitcher. See, God wants to equip you to empty your pitcher. So when people around you say, just give me a drink. I'm going through things. Can you pray for me? Your pitcher is filled and it's filled to be empty. You see this in our life. Equip people, empty their pitcher. They don't keep filling up themselves just for themselves. They understand God's been too good to them and God's filled them with qualities and things they could never fill themselves and they're filled and equipped to empty their pitcher. In fact, if you're a single lady, I wouldn't marry anybody that you don't see already learned to empty their pitcher. If they're not in dwelling place already serving and emptying their pitcher and being a blessing to others and serving, they sure once they get married ain't going to pick up the shoes and put up the dishes and take out the trash. They ain't going to empty their pitcher. Can I tell some single folks right now that dwelling place and Christ in dwelling place is trying to help you to get filled and prepared to learn to empty your pitcher. This is called servanthood. Energy to fill others, not to fill self. 
Start getting on a giving team. Get our children already serving, learning how to empty their pitcher, that life is not just for them. It's God doing something bigger. You can empty your pitcher. You can be used to be a blessing to others. Empty the blessing that God's put upon your finances. Empty it in the kingdom of God. Begin to pour out. And see, when you get equipped to empty your pitchers, you know what happens? You get equipped to have eyes. Eyes for what? To see needs. Because you, all, you always know. I've been prepared to understand that I can always go back to the source that's filled me. I can always go back to Jesus Christ and get filled again with joy. I can always go back to Jesus Christ and get filled with the Spirit. I can always go back to Jesus Christ and get filled with peace. And therefore, I know there's a source that will never run dry coming into my life and filling me. Then I don't have to become fearful and become the hoard. I can keep emptying my pitcher. And when I understand that, then I have eyes to look for needs. Okay, who needs a drink? Eyes. We are a church that when we go through the community, we're not talking about Sunday and Thursday. We're talking about tomorrow at work. We're talking about tomorrow at the job. We're going to be equipped to have eyes to see needs. People that are saying, just give me a drink. Just give me hope. We're going to see the needs in the community. And we're going to have eyes to be equipped. You see it in the story with her. Because you know what she also says there? She says, and I will draw water for your camels also until they finish drinking. Notice he only asked for... His own drink. He didn't ask for the camels. But you know why you see her doing that? Because she has equipped eyes. What's equipped eyes? Well, Josh, when you look at a camel, you see a big hump. Sometimes you see two humps. And you don't need someone to tell you that the reason there's humps in a camel is that it's so it would be filled with water. See, this is what equipped eyes do. You don't have to wait until the pastor. You don't have to wait until someone comes and asks you. You're walking around the church. You say, oh, there's a need. You're walking in the community. You don't have to wait for me to call or another pastor to call or another leader to say, anytime you see a need, you got equipped eyes and you understand your field to empty your pitcher. See, she didn't need anybody to tell her because she says camels have humps. They must need water. And she also empties her pitcher because she's got equipped eyes and also helps the camels. See, we need eyes that are constantly looking in our circumstances and in our home and what's happening on ways to impress and imprint the words and the will of God to our children and the next generation. You see it in the law, Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 5. God tells the nation of Israel, He says, You shall love God with all your being. And part of loving God with all your being is molding the foundations of many generations. In verse 7, he says, You shall teach them to your children diligently. Have equipped eyes. Looking for circumstances, looking for ways when you're out eating and out in the community and at home and when you're sitting down and when you're lying down. Look for everything that's happening in life to use as a lesson to impress and imprint them with the truth of God's word. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. I'm so blessed by God's grace. Man, when I was seven, this didn't happen to me, but I went in. I tell you what happened. I was going on Facebook. I was downstairs, and all the kids were being put to bed. And I saw another pastor. He was out with his son, and he asked his son. He said, they were just eating together because the wife had took the other son on a date. He said, what, what, what do you like best about your meal? He said, that I'm with you. He asked about the food. And he said, that just shows you just being with them. So you know what I did? I didn't tuck Caleb in that night, last night. So I ran upstairs and went in there. And when I went in the room, by God's grace, praise God, you know what he's doing? He just had a birthday in January, and he asked for a real Bible like Daddy's. 
And he had that Bible open. He said, Daddy, I'm reading about the fruit of the Spirit. I said, how'd you find it? He said, the index. Like, you didn't even know about the index? I didn't know no index at seven years old. What I'm talking about is this is how the prophetic promises and grace of God can cause each generation to excel. At seven, I wasn't in my bedroom with an index with the Bible looking for the fruit of the Spirit. God's grace can use you. God's grace can use ways around you to impress and imprint it upon your children. Then when you become equipped, you understand edges. What do I mean by edges? Well, there are edges on your seat. There's edges in this room. Edges are corners. They're boundaries. And we need ourselves and we need our children and we need this church to understand the edges of God. I know some Georgia fans, are, they're thinking, oh, is it football season yet? The edges. Are we talking about UGA? No, no, no. We're not talking about the edges on the field. But they do symbolize is that God's got a boundary for you. He's got responsibility. God's got a design. And we have to understand edges. You know why? Because it's not that God is trying to keep you from real joy and real pleasure. He's trying to keep you from that which will destroy. And you got to understand boundaries and edges to experience God's best and for His grace and the work of His Spirit to keep flowing. And here's what you see in the story. You see this example. You know what she did? She emptied her pitcher into the trough. You know what a trough has? It has edges. It has boundaries. It didn't say she emptied some in the trough and some on the ground. She filled the trough. She understood the boundaries and the edges of where she was supposed to pour. See, God's got gifts for you. He's got a sphere of influence for you. That represents your edges. That represents your boundaries. And God wants to use you to influence your sphere of influence. But you got to learn edges. You can't be used of God to influence the sphere around you if you've not personally allowed the edges and boundaries to be upon your own heart. One uh, uh, Christian counselor in talking about the learning of no said, you need to learn the know of parents and the know of siblings and the know of school teachers and the know of school friends, the know of bosses and supervisors and the know of spouses, the know of health problems from overeating and alcoholism or an irresponsible lifestyle. Because if not, you'll hear the know of police. If you don't learn the know of police, you'll end up in the courts and in prison. This is learning personal responsibility. Out of the abundance of your heart flows the issues of your life. Guard it with all diligence. Understand edges. Understand boundaries. I like what Dr. Cloud and Townsend said. Boundaries are designed to keep the good in and the bad out. The trough was to keep the good in, the water in, and to keep the dust and, and, and things out. It provides a structure of safety. And this is why discipline is important. Discipline is a manifestation of the love of God. To learn His edge and boundary for your life. God loves us enough to teach us boundaries. If not, then we don't understand that I'm responsible for my body, but I'm not to harm the body of another. That's a lack of understanding boundary. You punch someone, get in a fight. That's not understanding boundary, the edge. Learning personal responsibility. They go on to say any confusion of responsibility and ownership in our lives is a problem of boundaries. We are responsible to others and for ourselves. You know what happens when we don't learn edges and get equipped understand boundaries? You experience what I just experienced this week with a septic tank. 
See, when you keep doing things that's outside the boundaries of the purpose and you keep putting things into a septic tank that ain't supposed to go in, then it begins to backflow. And if you don't allow the edges of God to come in your life, then pressures and things will cause you to backflow. And you say, I don't understand septic tank language. What happens when it backs up? Well, go look it up on the internet afterwards. It gets stinky real fast. Things get worse real bad. And when we don't understand the edges of our life and we're putting things in our own heart and things in our marriage and things in our home and all that, it leads to a backup. God doesn't want that backup for us. He wants the flow of His grace. He wants the flow of His Spirit to continue to flow in our life. One of the edges of the main pipe coming into the septic tank, when they had done it, when it settled, it dropped lower. And so the last remaining part of the pipe was going uphill and everything was settling in that edge. See, some of us, we have rough edges. We have ways that we've picked up from the world and ways we've observed from our family and God's Spirit wants to smooth out those rough edges to understand God's best and purpose for our life. And if you allow God to deal with the rough edges, listen, you'll learn your shape. Better yet, you'll be formed in your shape. What do you mean? Rick Warren uses shape. S represents your spiritual gifts. You start letting God deal with the edges and the boundaries. Paul said, I don't try to minister. I don't try to minister outside the sphere God has for me. You ever tried a new career and found out real quick it, it wasn't a gifting there? <laughs> spiritual gifts, but also your heart. What are you passionate about? What does God put a passion and a burden on? What angers you? Sometimes you can tell. When something that frustrates you, you probably have a heart to see the right thing done there. Where you have a passion, a heart, also your abilities. Are you good with money? Are you good with working with your hands? Are you good talking with people? Learning your shape. Also your personality. How has God wired you to think? And also your experience. See, God dealing with your rough edges will begin to reveal and you'll learn your shape. What am I talking about? I'm talking about molding the foundations of many generations and allowing God to prepare you and equip you will then allow the right things to be produced in the next generation. And think about this. People say all the time, I need more practical stuff, how to, how to mentor the next generation. Not, no, you don't if you follow Jesus. You know why? Because the very things he's taught and led you through, you know that's what you're to produce and pass on to the next generation. You have learned to allow the pressures in your life to get you down in prayer. You don't need to tell your kids about all these other things that don't matter and get upset about things. Like we had a, a picture fall off the wall uh, this week because the kid you know, threw some and shouldn't have. Listen, all those things are not the things that matter. What does matter is that they learn that the pressure, don't try to hide it, but let the pressure get on your knees and ask God to be mercy to work through your parents that you don't get a whooping. <laughs> Teach them to allow pressure, failure, difficulties to produce prayer. Why do you know that? Because you've allowed it to do in you. So let me talk about producing. See, prepared and equipped people produce purpose. And it's generational purpose. See, we produce not what we know, but what we are. It's amazing. A one-year-old at, at 10 months with no one telling her, she knows to, when she hears music start. She don't know what she's hearing. She don't even know where. But, but she, why does she know that? Because she's seen it. That's acceleration. I wasn't doing that at 10 months. It's acceleration. God's grace can do that through all of us. 
He can do it with this community called Dwelling Place. He can do it with this church. He can do it with marriages. He can do it with single people who are being prepared and equipped for a marriage, even to get married again, even a second marriage. God is able. Somebody say He's able. Prepared and equipped to produce the foundations of many generations. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 15. Look at the screens with me. But he did not make them one. But did he not make them one having a remnant of the Spirit and why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. Why did he make them one? Why is it good for man not to be alone? Why godly marriages? To produce godly seed for the next generation. To mold the foundations of many generations. Being prepared and equipped to produce godly seed, seed that God can use. Because do you know what the statistic says? The majority of people that come to know Christ are going to come to know Him before 20. And it's godly seed, godly children in the schools, in the hallways that can absolutely impact the next generation. That then when the next politicians arrive, we don't have to worry about how crazy they are because they came from a generation that had impacted them with the cause of Jesus Christ, with godly fear, understanding that the only thing that can fix some of the pressures in the world is to bow down to Jesus Christ and the hope of the nations. I'm talking about, I believe that your life, I believe a marriage if you're married, I believe your next marriage if you've been divorced, I believe this church is going to produce godly offspring. It's going to produce the manifestation and the molding of many generations that we're going to see children equipped and raised up to be the salt and the light, walking in their God-given purpose, shining out the goodness and the mercy of God and producing the print of Christ upon them. You see it with Abraham with the servant. He's out there. He's looking for the woman. He's feeling the pressure of his role in molding the foundations for many generations. But you know what he's learned? You know what Abraham has imprinted upon him? The Bible says he bows down his head and he begins to worship the Lord and he says, Blessed be the Lord our God. You see the producing of the imprint and the purpose of God on the next generation and I'm believing that for the children of this of dwelling place for your children verse 21 says the man wondering at her remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not I believe that our God is able to prepare and equip us that the children from this church the youth from this church that they have a prosperous journey in living out the plan and purpose of God a prosperous journey. That they don't have to wonder, is God with me? They don't have to wonder, why am I on the earth? That they have had the Word and the will of God produced in their life and they know God is with me. God is ordering my steps. That though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I don't have to fear no evil. Where can I go from His presence? If I'm thrown in hell, He is there with me. But they have this confidence that God is ordering my steps and He is making my journey prosperous and reaching my potential and purpose in Him. I believe that. I believe also what verse 23 says, the servant said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? I'm believing for the production and the producing of please request. Please request that the community around us would come and say, Please, please tell me 
Why are you different? Tell me why though you're going through things, there's still a joy. There's still a peace. There's still a hope that it's not going to end this way. I believe that there's some fathers in here that's going to hear a please request from the children down the street and your children's friends saying, please be a spiritual father to me. Please teach me how to have boundaries. Please be a mentor for me. I believe for some single ladies and some mothers to get some please requests from people in the community saying, please tell me, is there hope? Please tell me how to be forgiven. These are please requests. I believe that your home can be so filled with life and grace that people are always saying, please let us hang out at your house. People are always saying to your children, come, let us hang out to your house at your home. There's grace there. There's mercies there. There's parents that understand their role in molding the foundations of many generations. I'm believing this church to be a church that there's all kinds of please requests. That people say, oh, will you please help us? Oh, will you please tell us the words of salvation? Will you please lay hands and bless our children? Will you please see God's power bring deliverance and restoration? Will you please stand with me in my time of trial? believing for some please requests. Then also, I believe we can see producing producing of provisions. That there's enough provisions for the next generation and the next generation to live out the plan and purpose of God. The Bible says that the righteous store up for their grandchildren. I believe that God gives us provision not to keep filling ourselves, but those provisions are to help accelerate the next generation to get ahead in serving His purpose and will for their life, to find His purpose and plan for them. I believe God wants to produce provisions. Provisions that we can serve the next generation. Such a spirit of excellence to set them up for a prosperous journey. And then lastly in verse 60, notice what they say about Rebekah. They all say, and they blessed Rebekah. And they said to her, our sister, may you become the mother of thousands and ten thousands. May your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. I'm believing to be produced in this church and in your life and our children and those connected to the community. That they possess the, their kingdom influence. That they walk in the good works of why God created them. That they walk in their purpose. That doors are open that no man can close. That there is no plan of the enemy that can stand against them. But they possess the very purpose and plan of God for their lives possessing their kingdom inheritance you know what all this is producing this is producing progress and I'm believing that the work of God's spirit in you and in your relationships is going to produce God's forward God's purpose moving forward prevailing in progress for his kingdom name if that's you and you're with me, you say, God, here I am. I want to be involved in the molding of foundations of many generations. I want to be involved in seeing kingdom progress. If that's you, I want to encourage you to stand to your feet. And I want you to take a moment and don't care who's around you. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to talk to the God of heaven that's bigger than what you're currently going through. And I want you to begin to invite Him to use the pressure of your current affliction to produce a life of prayer to teach you about the well of Jesus Christ, how to live this thing out, how to press and imprint the Word and will of God of those around you that you say God here I am maybe some of you want to come up for prayer or come and kneel and say here I am to recommit that I am a part of something that's bigger than me the molding of the foundations for many generations as they sing you can come and pray if you want prayer we'll pray for you